0: If a small flock of cartoon bluebirds didn't help you get dressed this morning, that just means you haven't yet listened to Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor. No, the black dress slacks please. Thank you.
1: And now, Jim Hill. Welcome to Fine Tuning with Drew Taylor, your one-stop shop when it comes to animation news and commentary. I'm Drew's co-host, entertainment writer Jim Hill, and I'm Skyping into today's show from the woods of New Hampshire, where, where no lie, Drew, just before we sat down to, do, to record this podcast, I had to actually break out a saw and a pair of shears because a beaver got into the brook next to our house and took down a tree, which then blocked the driveway. So (laughs) let me say, we've all thought from Lady and the Tramp that they're very helpful, you know, the beavers, and it's just not the case. They are vicious creatures with with sharp teeth.
0: (laughs) That does not make me miss the Northeast at all, I gotta say.
1: Speaking of which, you actually went north this week, though, though, out of L.A. up to Emeryville. Is that
0: correct? Yes, that's right. I was up there for um, The Incredibles 2 in-home day. They don't call it home video anymore because it's uh, digital and whatever else. But yeah, uh, I was up there for uh, The Incredibles 2. Again, I feel like I every few months, when I walked into my interview with John Walker and Brad Bird, it's like, oh, I see you guys every three months about, you know, it's like, You get your teeth cleaned and you go talk to the guys that made Incredibles
1: too. Wow. We'll get a little more in-depth than that into the second half of the show, but I have to ask, when you were on the Pixar campus up in Emeryville, did you see the Heimlich choo-choo train? No, the whole train? Well, that is the story that's coming out of, I mean, obviously, uh, a bug's Land closed at Disney California Adventure uh, back the, what is it, the first week of September, right?
0: Yep. Yep.
1: You know, supposedly out of everything that was there, and in fact, it kind of surprises me because they made such a big deal about, you know, come find the giant four-leaf clover, but evidently the one thing that's going back up to Emeryville after it's refurbished is the Heimlich choo-choo train, and I'm just wondering, A, when it gets there and B, where the hell are
0: they going to put it? Yeah, I, are they going to like put the track down, or is it just the ride vehicles, or I, what?
1: I have no idea. Maybe they'll put it outside by the ball and the lamp, or the next time you get up there, you know, keep an eye out for it. I will, I will. Now, though, speaking of traveling, I should have gone to New York Comic Con, because there's some very cool news coming out of it, but... I hate going to the Javits Center. It's, it is, oh,
0: it's terrible.
1: It, it's the worst place on the, the planet to have a convention. And, and I say that having been to, oh, God, where is CinemaCon held? Oh, in Las Vegas. Yeah. yeah.
0: Isn't that is uh, the Caesars, uh,
1: yeah. Whatever? Yeah. It's just, you know, and, and nothing says, let's go enjoy a movie like walking through a casino full of smoke. <laughs> but I will say, though, that I wish I was there just to be there with a, Proud and to see on the big screen the new trailer for Spider Man Into the Spider Verse.
0: Yeah, that trailer was very cool. The one reason people should go see Venom this weekend, mm-hmm. and I think the cat's already out of the bag, but the after the credit sequence is not actually tied to Venom or Spider Man or anything. It's actually a, I would say, four minute sequence from Spider-Man into the fu- Spider-Verse.
1: Oh. Yeah. I had almost talked myself out of going to Venom because the reviews have <laughs> been... I think Rotten Tomatoes has it at like 26 at this point.
0: Yeah, it's ter- it's a terrible movie, but you get oh, a scene from... Damn uh, it, Drew. <laughs> yeah, <Okay. laughs> Now
1: I gotta go. Okay. Now you gotta go. Yeah. Oh. But yeah, that's an absolutely killer trailer. And more to the point, I love how weirdly specific it is. I mean, you know, for example, I think it's Screen Rant that just did the piece about how when you look at the Spider-Man in that movie, I mean, they don't they don't get around. They get right to the, the point like, this is the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man. You see recreations of the scene from Spider-Man 2 where he stops the train. And, yeah,
0: the upside down kiss. Yeah, that's it exactly.
1: Yep. It just allows you to start the story immediately you it's like okay you know this character you know this world you know we don't have to do the origin story for the 35th time right because obviously this is the story of, of miles morales not peter parker speaking of what did you think of, of these scenes that showed five different iterations of spider-man all in one place
0: oh i thought it was so cool i love the spider-men that they chose too i love that they chose spider-man noir spider who's like a kind of japanese um Young Japanese girl, uh, mm. Spider-Gwen, Spider-Ham, mm. <laughs> voiced by John Mulaney. Yeah. Yeah, I'm really excited about Spider-Man War, uh, voiced by Nick Cage, too. I think that's pretty fun, especially since he got to finally voice Superman in the Teen Titans movie earlier this year. So yeah. he's just killing it.
1: Did you ever see that documentary that about Superman lives?
0: Oh, yeah. John Schnepp. Yeah. Or, who sa- sadly passed away earlier this year. Yeah. Yeah, it was a good little documentary.
1: No, absolutely. I mean, you, know, you really get, I mean, there's some wonderful behind-the-scenes footage of, in fact, Cage doing the costume tests, and the, and you just get a sense of this might have been a really interesting take on the material. And, uh, But again, of course, you know, the, the, the studio chickened out, and we got what we got.
0: Yeah. I mean, just think about how many toys they're going to sell of... How many different Spider-Man characters there are in that and movie?
1: Speaking of toys, uh, because <laughs> in fact, my daughter in the car today was just showing me the images of the Shira and Katra toys. One of the big things that being pushed out ahead of its November 16th debut at Netflix is Shira and the Princess of Power, the new DreamWorks Animation thing, and based on the trailer, which also just dropped today. Looks like a lot of fun, but again, one of the things, again, again, I hate the Javits, but I still would love to have checked out this food truck that they were doing in front of, it's the fandom food truck.
0: Oh, what what was it?
1: Well, this time around, they had the Shira Confection of Protection, which basically was a rainbow-colored smoothies with jelly beans and, and candy on top of it, but with a sword-shaped cookie sticking out of it. And again, getting back to Venom, you know, you could have had that and then washed it down with a Venom Black Lemonade or a, a Doctor Who Regeneration Tonic.
0: That's really funny because they were so, they were pushing that Black Lemonade at the junket. They had giant bottles of it. I forget. I think um, oh, Nestle or somebody makes it, and they were like, "Do you want any more bottles of Venom Black Lemonade?" And it was like. Oh. No, I'm okay. I think I'm just going to try it. I haven't tried it yet, so I will do that before the next show. Okay. I will give you my full review of the Venom right. Black uh, Lemonade. Yeah.
1: Well, and when we say full review, I, you know, I don't know if I want to know what the end product looks <laughs> like. <laughs> Moving on. Let's see. What else is being... Oh, oh! we talked uh, last show about hilda they're they're also doing a kind of a fun push at the uh, new york comic con for hilda in fact if you go by the flying eye booth you can have your picture taken with a 6 foot tall woof it's that weird dog shaped thing that you see oh, flying through I the Oh, i love clock. that yeah and speaking of oversized props if you feel the need to climb inside one of the racers from Star Wars Resistance but yeah you can go by booth 436
0: and have you seen Star Wars Resistance yet or no
1: I am supposed to get my hands on it later today but I've I've been watching the clips and the trailers out there and I like the anime style I, th- I think it's it's kind of an interesting departure from What they did with Rebels, which was very, very inspired by Ralph McQuarrie's early concept work in Star Wars films. But change is a healthy thing, you know, to to change up the look. But that said, they've just released a a trailer for the new Harlequin animated series. And they've got uh, Kaylee Coco from uh, The Big Bang Theory now voicing the character. And I'm sorry, Harlequin is always, to me, going to be Arlene Sokol Right. The way Paul Dinny originally wrote her, and you know the way she was cast for for Batman: The Animated Series. Speaking of which, you you were you were just making your way through that huge Blu-ray, weren't you? Or
0: no, I I still have it pre. They haven't sent it to me yet, but right. I have it pre-ordered. But that's what's interesting is that that little commercial reminded me of the Batman: The Animated Series episode Harley and Ivy. Mm-hmm. Do you remember that one where they yeah, like t- it was yeah. like a Thelma and Louise almost. Mm-hmm. Such a great episode. But, yeah, I mean, the stuff that Paul Dini did... I, I don't understand why Paul Dini uh, and Bruce Tim aren't given the reins of the actual DC universe, because I feel like they would just do such a better job with all of this stuff than people are doing these days. With, I, uh...
1: <laughs> it's so funny you say that. I've been, been thumping that tub for years. It seems like such a common-sense thing, but... but... Yeah. But at the same time, when you have that sort of conversation with folks, it's, well, they're TV people. And, and worse than that, they're TV animation people. I mean, we're, right. making, we're making a movie, you know, and it's just sort of like, okay, you know, okay. you don't want to, yeah, you don't want to go with the guy who actually knows how to write for this character. It's like,
0: okay. yeah, Th- Yeah. It's never made any sense to me, but.
1: Given that you, you brought up the pairing of Harley and Poison Ivy and what fun that was and, brings us to other women you shouldn't mess with and that's the the ladies who worked in disney's ink and paint department and i've been following for a while now the projects that are going to be coming out by way of disney play the subscription streaming service and just this past week a deadline broke that they're going to do a documentary series that sort of uses mindy johnson's uh, that great book she did last year ink and paint the women of Di- walt disney's animation Yeah, Uh, that was great. But they're using that as a jumping-off point for a series of documentaries. That's just kind of thrilling to hear, because the ink and paint department basically went away mid-'90s, right?
0: Yeah, I think Rescuers Down Under was the first Caps, completely Caps movie, correct?
1: Yeah, and then from there, all of that talent and and all of that... In fact, it's it's so funny. I think we, we talked a little on an earlier show about... The fact that when they were working on the animated scenes for Mary Poppins Return, oh, I'm blanking the name of, but she was a a veteran ink and paint person, they actually brought her in to consult on the Cap's work and the computer coloration of the characters, because it's like they wanted that 1960s animation feel to the stuff that was being done in 2018. She came in and consulted him on the line work and the coloration and.
0: Well, I mean, looking at that animation, and which we exclusively revealed was a combination of Pixar and Walt Disney Animation Studios last time. Yeah. it looks so real and great and true to the the animation style of original Mary Poppins. So.
1: And speaking of things that we sort of let the cat out of the bag about early on, I mean, you and I on an earlier show had talked about the the Lilo and Stitch live-action reboot that was was in the development pipeline, and Disney finally confirmed what we were talking about. I guess Dan Lynn and Jonathan Arish of Rideback are, are producing it. They're the, the same guys who who did the uh, Aladdin with Will Smith that's coming out in May of next year for Disney. Right. And I guess Mike Van Wass is writing the screenplay, so it's still relatively early on in fact folks i've spoken with the studio nobody yet wants to talk about whether or not this is going out theatrically or this is disney play but it's coming
0: the reason i would suspect that it's going theatrical is that stitch has a huge presence overseas that asian audiences love stitch and they also love angel who is stitch's girlfriend from i believe the second movie the direct-to-video sequel Mm -hmm. And so I would I would wager that, that Stitch is going to be theatrical. But speaking of Stitch, did you see the reports that the Stitch attraction in the Magic Kingdom has already been dismantled and, and broken apart? Do you have any insight on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, Len and I were just talking about this because Rafiki's Planet Watch, in much the same way that Stitch's Great Escape went seasonal before it eventually went away, they're doing the same thing with Planet Watch. It, it's going to shut down later this month and reopen next spring. They're clearing it out and they're getting the space ready and as I think we talked about on the last show, it very dependent on how Ralph breaks the internet does in four or five weeks from now. Yeah. Alice and I just today were over at the Disney store at the Outlet Mall. The first wave of the Wreck It Ralph 2 stuff has arrived and it's just kind of weird. You can buy like for example the vehicle from the Slaughter Race game? Right. Here's Penelope with her sunglasses on looking super cool, and here's Ralph looking terrified. And it's like, well, okay, let's play with that.
0: You know what's funny about that merch is that uh, I've heard that the the rabbit that eats the pancakes from the trailer yep. did not actually make it into the final cut of the movie, but there are... <laughs> dozens of toys made of this character
1: oh my Um, god are you serious yeah yeah. i heard alice from across the store it's like oh my god the cat with the milkshake and the rabbit with the pancakes and you know i mean here here are the plush
0: yep not in the movie so at least yeah yeah
1: oh nuts okay yeah going from one alien dog movie (laughs) get stitched to another dog movie one that we project that we know is going out through Disney Play is this Lady and the Tramp remake, which they've been shooting for a while. I guess Tessa Thompson is going to be voicing Lady, and Justin Thoreau is going to be Tramp.
0: Yeah, they've been vo- they've been shooting in London, I believe. Yeah.
1: Okay, but get what, you know, what I find kind of intriguing when you look at this is that you know they're constantly looking now to sort of balance the scales, you know, make sure that they're, for example, especially in our our Me Too age. More female roles. So did you see where there's no jock in this movie? It's Jackie?
0: No, I had no idea. Yeah. Scottish Terrier.
1: Yes. You know, Ashley Jensen is going to be voicing that. The other one, I think just today, Arturo Castro uh, has been added to the cast. He's going to be working at Tony's. So Bellinona makes it into this movie so charlie bean of the lego ninjago movies directing
0: not my favorite lego movie of the bunch
1: yeah but it still had some fun stuff yeah does the world really need a lady in the tramp i mean it's a all right it's dogs they're cute people like to go to movies with dogs didn't i just hear that they're doing a sequel to a dog's life the the thing that Josh Gad did all the voice work for?
0: Yes, I believe it's coming out next year.
1: That was the movie where, what, they, uh, uh, spoiler alert, folks, they killed the dog like five times over the course of the movie and he kept getting
0: reincarnated. Yeah. Well, wasn't that also the movie that had the like allegations of animal Uh, abuse on set, too? Yeah,
1: they had that, that, that footage of the dog being thrown in the water for the drowning sequence and it's just. Yeah. All I could think of is like, wow, that's Old Yeller again and again and again. <laughs> <laughs> have you cried enough? Oh, wait a minute, we're going to kill the dog again. Uh, anyway, I guess I have to wait to judge whether or not you know we need this remake, this, this sequel. But again, I remember I was the one who also complained about Incredibles 2 and how that was kind of an unnecessary sequel. And, and now what? It's the... Top-grossing Pixar movie ever? Is that correct?
0: Ever, Jim, ever.
1: All right. So, what the hell do I know? Well, I'll tell you what I don't know. I don't know what Drew learned when he was up at the the Emoryville campus, uh, you know, talking with with the filmmakers and the creatives, you know, just earlier this week. So, tell you what, we're gonna jump off here, folks, do a quick break, and when we get back, Drew will share what he learned from from all the folks who worked on *Incredibles* too. and we're back. Now again, you had done the earlier for the film release, one,
0: right? Yeah, I well I done the long lead and then I did the junket and mm-hmm. now I was back for the uh in-home release. I guess like the biggest thing was that we got to see Auntie Edna, mm-hmm. which is the new the brand new short that will be available on every version of this movie and Access kind of a follow-up to the Jack-Jack um, Attack short from mm-hmm. the first home video release where you get to see... Edna and Jack-Jack and the night that they spend together. And it's a really cute short. It's really funny and heartfelt. And you get to see Jack-Jack turn into some other things that you haven't seen him do yet. Like he turns into a big firework at one point and Mm. uh, is made of water at another point. And what was really interesting was I got to talk to the filmmakers and they said that one of the challenges is they couldn't build any new sets. So they had to be in edna's laboratory because they had redone it for the new movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) initially you know it took place all over the house and now it's just there they started production earlier this year and it's already finished which is pretty amazing
1: holy cow
0: yeah i guess it was an idea they always wanted to do and they finally got the go ahead for Mm -hmm. the short so that was that was a lot of fun seeing seeing that and i mean i don't have a blu-ray copy yet but i'm very excited to watch it again when i do And this
1: having been, in some cases, your third conversation with the same set of filmmakers.
0: Yeah. (laughs) What's that
1: like? I mean, especially for those of you who don't know, when you don't go to the long lead, you're typically shown, what, 25, 30 minutes of of scenes. And it's not, you know, sometimes if you're lucky, they'll show you, you know, a a continuous part of the movie. Right. But mostly it's like, okay, here are the 25 minutes of scenes that we want to show you. Yeah. Then comes the actual junket, and usually in that situation you get to see the whole film and then talk with all of these folks who, at the long lead, they had to be reticent because gonna, you, they, they can't reveal the plot twist. And now, third time up at bat here.
0: Well, I like, the, I like this period the most because they are less cagey about what they can or cannot talk about. They can mm-hmm. talk about the experience of releasing the movie, which is obviously very interesting in this case now that it is the most profitable animated film of all time. Mm-hmm. And I feel like they're just a little bit more honest and open and nothing they say can really come back at them about, you know, and impact the financials of the movie. And mm-hmm. so it was interesting. You know, I asked about um, there was a lot of pre-production artwork and a lot of stuff made about how Edna was going to have a fashion show. And that there were going to be supermodels that were dressed like superheroes. Mm -hmm. And so I asked about that, and it was... You know, you've talked to Brad before. You know he's the most honest, uh, kind of open person in the world. And he Mm. talked about how too much was made about that, and it was just a little idea that was never funny enough to make it into the movie. But he also said... You know, that they made this movie so quickly and they came in under budget. And so he said, you know, I don't really look at reviews, but I read one about, you know, how the plot didn't quite line up, you know, totally intricately. And, and he's he's, you know, yelling not at me, but, you know, at, you know, he gets very animated. You've, he, you've does. Talked about he does. Yeah.
1: Yes. And yes, he's, like, he's
0: like, do you know what it took to get this movie done? Like, <laughs> you know, the plot not being perfect is the least of our worries. And so I think that he just felt relieved that it's done mm-hmm. and it got out. And I asked him, you know, do you feel any like momentum to just do a third one real quick and get it out of the way? And he said, absolutely not. Mm. He also told me, and this will be a, I issue a challenge to our listeners out there. He told me that his next project will be a project that had an older project of his that mixed computer animation and live action that was at a different studio, but is now currently coming back to, to Disney and Pixar. Would not tell me what it is. It's not It's not Ray Gun. Mm-hmm. So I want to know what this was. I'm sure it was announced or referenced or something at some point. So I want to figure out what it is. So Jim and, and, and everybody else, figure this out.
1: Hmm. You've seen his test for spirit, right?
0: Oh, so good. He did that he did himself, didn't he? Yeah, but I don't think he would do that.
1: Particularly now, it you know, with Disney acquiring Fox and the X Men and all that, it's like, oh yeah, let's make a superhero movie. That'll be different,
0: right? You
1: know, <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, no. Okay, yeah, all right. So, okay, well, 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 Let's legitimately put that out there. If somebody yeah. has any insights, oh, we'd love to hear about it. Yeah. Not only Brad though, you but you got to speak, speak with other folks who worked on the film. You know,
0: for yeah. I talked to a couple of the animators. I talked to the filmmakers behind *Bow*, mm-hmm. which is about to start its big Oscar push. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's, what's interesting is that I talked to a married couple mm-hmm. of animators who actually worked on the scene where Bob and Helen are fighting in the motel. Ooh. And each the the man in the couple took Bob's performance. The the woman animator took Helen's performance, which is really interesting that they work together on a scene. Mm-hmm. They're married. They animated married couple a uh, married couple. It's pretty, it was pretty funny. And the performances are great, I guess, uh, in part because they drew from real life for that.
1: Oddly enough, that that was one of the more real moments in a, a pretty surreal film.
0: Yeah. Was
1: there anything you learned this time around that surprised
0: you? You know, I asked Brad about Tomorrowland, mm. <laughs> which could have gone either way, quite yep. frankly. I know that you and I have spent a lot of time talking about Tomorrowland and what worked and what didn't work. And... Yeah, yeah. I'm an admirer of the film and Mm -hmm. uh, how weird and big it was for a Mm -hmm. Disney movie. But he said, you know, I wouldn't have done anything differently. I am glad I did it instead of Star Wars. I still love Star Wars. You know, is it perfect? I don't know. But uh, the experience was great and I'm so happy that I did it, which I thought was really honest. And he talked about how he's getting a lot of feedback now on Twitter from people who are just now watching Tomorrowland and loving it. And he said, you know, that's fine if a movie, you know has to take a breath and people enjoy it later. But yeah, it was very interesting. I was very happy that he talked about that.
1: I have to admit, when I come across it now, and it it, it has begun popping up on cable fairly regularly, and I find it does suck me in. There's so many great, weird little scenes. I find I'll look up and it's like, oh, 30, 40 minutes of a movie I just stopped on for a second. I always usually hang in there for the Eiffel Tower becoming a spaceship, because, <laughs> of course, I mean, yeah. of, of course, it's a, you know, it's a gantry for a spaceship. I mean, I just, I, I love it's hiding in plain sight. So great. Having done that, you're back in town, or, or, do you and Katie have anything planned for the weekend, which, of course, is Columbus Day? You guys up to anything? Or? Uh,
0: well, we're going to Mickey's Halloween party tonight at, uh, or tomorrow night at Disneyland, which I've never done before, so I'm very excited. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. Uh, okay. You, You will enjoy, though. Interesting that you you bring up Mickey, because I thought in honor of Columbus Day, we could talk about a a project that Disney almost made, The Voyage of Christopher Columbus starring Mickey
0: Mouse. Oh, wow.
1: You've heard about this project, right?
0: I actually never had, but it's interesting because you you will say when this is, you know, being developed. And Mm. there was really Christopher Columbus fever in the early 90s, right?
1: But largely coming off of the fact that 1992 was the 500th anniversary of Christopher Columbus. And let's be honest here, he didn't discover America. He he, he discovered San Salvador. Right. And even then, it was one of the other guys in the boat. Hey, look over there. And it's like, yeah. oh, okay, move the pinto over there. Let's do this.
0: Right. But there were so many, there were so many movies and stuff. Oh, there was yeah. Christopher Columbus. Uh, what was it, Voyage to a New World or whatever? And then fourteen nine or fourteen ninety two Voyage to a New World, fourteen ninety two Conquest of Paradise. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then at the same time, Christopher Columbus, The Discovery.
1: Well, it, the one that always cracked me up was with the Salkin, the, the one that the Salkin. Yeah, that made. was the
0: Discovery one. Yeah, the Mario Puzo co-wrote oh. the screenplay. Yeah.
1: Well, yeah, the amazing thing is for. For a time while they were making Superboy at Disney Studios, uh, Disney MGM, they were talking about, you know, and well, you know, we we have this Christopher Columbus movie, which we'd love to make here in Florida. And Disney, you know, kept sort of looking at it and it's like, I don't know. So when (laughs) Superboy moved over to Universal, the Sulkins did the same thing. It's like, hey, you know, we'd love to shoot it here in Florida, and the same thing. Like, eh, I don't know, right? But speaking of of the Florida connection, in order to understand why Disney would have wanted to cash in on the 500th anniversary of discovery of America, but also the idea was that Mickey's The Prince and the the Popper, that 25-minute-long featurette, it's actually a great little featurette it's a lot of fun but it it was also supposed to be the first of a series
0: oh i didn't know that
1: yeah in fact i remember being at the magic of disney animation the 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 walk through exhibit at disney mgm and one afternoon you know how you could you could look into the fishbowl the you know the work area
0: yeah of course
1: and in one of the workrooms they had pinned up storyboards for the scene for the second of the series and that was Mickey's Arabian Adventure and it was one of these things where it's like oh, wait a minute you're making Mickey's Arabian Adventure have you looked down the hall at the Aladdin project because we're kind of doing the same thing here <laughs> that's what ultimately killed Mickey's Arabian Adventure was that especially on the heels of the success of Beauty and the Beast. It's like, oh yeah, we we want to do that now. We want another musical and we don't necessarily want Mickey's Arabian Adventure crowding that out. So that one got pulled, but number three was supposed to be this story of Christopher Columbus. And the irony is as they're working on this, I want to say Mike Gabriel is doing the sort of gong show things where they they pitch it. You know, look for ideas for upcoming features. And Mike came in one day and pitched the idea of doing Pocahontas, only with the idea of doing—in fact, I I think I shared this piece of concept art with you at one point. Yes,
0: I—yeah, I was working on—when I was at Disney, I did a story, I think, about this version of Pocahontas that he and Eric Goldberg had talked about. But yeah. yeah, the you're talking about the image of basically Tiger Lily. Yeah. From Peter from Peter Pan that just says Walt Disney's Pocahontas on the top. And that was what got it the green light, right?
1: That's it exactly. But I don't know if you've seen the, the the Adam Ruins Everything series or the Adam Ruins History animated series, but they do a wonderful piece on Disney's Pocahontas and how how much of that story that they got wrong and how what a terrible person John was. But it turns out that Disney, at least in the original pitch, got Pocahontas's age right. She was only like an eight or nine-year-old girl when she met John Smith initially.
0: Not creepy at all, Jim. Not, not creepy not, at all.
1: Not creepy at all. But, but again, the original pitch was that they were going to age down John Smith so he was going to be a cabin boy on this ship that had come over and founded the Virginia Company. The idea was these two young kids were going to teach the adults how to to behave, how to be, you know, peace between the the indigenous people and, you know, the, the early English settlers. And however, once Beauty and the Beast came out in November of ninety one it was this monstrous hit, you know, Katzenberg suddenly wanted a musical for adults. And so they, they aged up Pocahontas and Glenn Keane made her the most striking creature on the planet.
0: He made it really boring. They all made it boring. It's well, boring it, Again,
1: at some point you're gonna have to to share some of those stories with with from eric and mike but anyway come on full circle here just about the same time that mickey's christopher columbus is moving forward you know disney is beginning the initial work on off of the gong show presentation of pocahontas and and so they they start doing their research and they drill down into the story of the indigenous people and and then they start to get to the part about how so many members of Columbus's crew behaved badly and how many people who lived in, in the Caribbean at that time were killed. And it's just sort of like, yeah, this really sounds like a Mickey Mouse short. Um, you know, <laughs> that featurette after a good, I want to say five or six months of work and boarding and all that gets put aside because it's can, you know, this isn't an appropriate vehicle for Mickey, but they set this aside and then they're like, well, let's explore doing something different with Mickey Maybe we'll go back to the shorts, and and maybe we'll do something fun, new, which is how we end up with 1995's Runaway Brain.
0: Ah, uh, I love I love Runaway Brain.
1: And Chris Bailey did such amazing work with that. Yes, you can find a certain amount of merch out there that's tied to to Runaway Brain, but the studio really nowadays pretends that that film was never made
0: oh yeah yeah when i was at disney that was on our sort of list of things that we could not talk about we could not discuss we could not reference runaway brain ever i have a runaway brain mickey pin that i don't even know when i got it but i'm so glad i did because god knows they do not make it anymore and i think it's so funny you know We've talked a little bit about Mickey's 90th anniversary. um, Yes. But how completely Runaway Brain has has been wiped from the history books. Did you see that, the Blu-ray that's coming out that does not have it on there? Uh, It's really interesting.
1: I was just standing in Target the other morning holding the 90th Mickey collection series of, of action figures and and again you, you've got a golden Mickey you've got a steamboat Mickey you've got a sorcerer's apprentice Mickey and again it's like yeah. Rick, where's my runaway brain Mickey and it's yeah. like oh pal you know, if you didn't get it back in the day you are never getting it.
0: Right you want the Mickey that almost raped Minnie <laughs> the, I think that's the main issue that's keeping uh, that away
1: but well, yeah well, at some point you're going to have to tell me what else was on that list. That, that, <laughs> that, uh,
0: in fact, uh, tell you what, folks. In, bi- if- in, big, in big, bold words, it said Jim Hill. Do not talk to Jim Hill, yeah.
1: In fact, folks, if you come out for our event in November, the the one that the very nice folks at Storybook Destinations are setting up November 9th through the 12th, is that? Yep. Okay, uh, Drew and I will be down in Orlando. We are going to be taking... A group of folks around the parks and sharing all sorts of stories about Pixar Animation and how they came into the Disney parks and resorts. And maybe when when we're not talking about that, Drew could share a few other things (laughs) on, you know, with other stories. The vault will
0: be open, yeah.
1: So if people are interested in finding other stuff that you're doing around the web and that sort of thing, where else can they find you?
0: Well, you can find me on moviephone.com. Uh, I'm the features editor and social media manager over there, so I'm always posting stuff there. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter uh, at at DrewTailored, T-I-L-O-R-E-D, like the tailored suit. And if you really like listening to me, you can listen to my Mission Impossible podcast, Light the Fuse, which I host with Charles Hood. That's all about the Mission Impossible franchise. Oh,
1: very cool. Yeah. Do you do the, the the Mission Impossible TV series as well, or? Oh
0: yeah, yeah, and we're we're I think we're doing the '80s show even. So. Oh my yeah.
1: God! Really? Yeah, we're, yeah. We were just talking about how when Martin Lando left the show, and they hmm. brought in Leonard Nimoy. I mean, he. I guess they had literally just canceled Star Trek, and so but they enjoyed working with Leonard Nimoy, so he came in to basically play the Martin Lando role in what? Yeah three through five something like that or yeah
0: we haven't gotten there yet but yeah if you haven't seen it Martin Landau basically plays a kind of magician sleight of hand guy Mm. and he's the he's kind of that element and he has a really great relationship with Barbara Bain who plays (laughs) Cinnamon and they have a really great flirtatious relationship um, in the show so yeah Oh, I'm getting deep into it, Oh, Jim. no, no,
1: no. Okay, I definitely got to go check that out. <laughs> yeah, um, Cool. All right, now I know what I'm listening to when I'm driving down to Florida for our event.
0: And Nova's calling me.
1: Yeah, Nova the Wonder Dog is telling us it's time <laughs> to end the show, folks. So, all right. Well, well uh, on behalf of Drew and Nova, thanks for listening tonight, and we'll be back with another fine-tuning very soon. Okay? Take care.
0: Be sure to tune in again for another fine episode of Fine Tuning with Jim Hill and Drew Taylor.